Hi, Greg Bruza coming back at you with one of my fan faves, me being the fan, the fave being film noir, the movies that paint the celluloid black, if you will. Uh, excited as hell because this is part three of my series, The Best Film Noirs of All Time. If you tuned into part one and part two, I gave you the first best ten list of film noirs that I think knocked the socks right off you. And they were, in case you missed it, The Informer, Laura, Detour, Crossfire, Out of the Past, Brute Force, Crisscross, Sunset Boulevard, No Way Out, and The Narrow Margin. In that order. And if you didn't catch those podcasts, I suggest you do a backflip before you go on. Listen to part one. Check out those ten. Listen to part two so you can delve deeper. And as I said, watch them in order. Uh, Because what I've tried to do is show you the germation, if you will, of film noir. How the tricks and twists came about and how each film piles on the tricks of the previous ones and starts to do and try new things on their own, furthering the genre. And what a genre. Anyway, you don't want to miss them. They begin the begin, so to speak, when it comes to film noir. And here in part three, I'm going to introduce you to the next 10 best film noirs, according to me, just give you a taste of what they're about. Then you're going to go away and watch them, come back a while later and join me in part four, where we talk about why they are on the second best 10 list. Okay, no need to give you the rundown on what film noir is. I did a little of that in part one, so again, go back. But all you need to really do is watch one film noir film, and you'll see they're dirty, they're nasty, they're ugly, and they want you to go away. That's actually a funny line from a comedy, but I can't remember what the movie is. But the guy says to another guy, you're dirty, you're nasty, you're ugly, and I want you to go away. And that's film noir. They don't want you to hang around and see what they're doing. Because almost everybody in film noir is up to no good. And it pulls no punches. The women get what they deserve. The men get what they deserve. The cops get what they deserve. The innocent bystanders don't get what they deserve, but do anyway. Uh, And these movies usually smack you right in the face. Tell it like it is. And as I said in part one, there is absolutely no sediment in film noir. The love doesn't flourish. Oh, it trickles out sometimes at the end, like in the great pickup on South Street by Samuel Fuller, which I might include on the third 10 best film noir list. Uh, But the love in film noir uh, is um, usually the end result of much gut-wrenching and murder throughout. Uh, Sometimes the cop can fall for the dame, and the two people might get away with it in a Romeo and Juliet fashion, But love takes a beating in film noir. It's cheating of a different kind. Uh, It's called double-crossing. Anyway, it's probably my favorite genre because it never gets old. There's murder, lies, betrayal, deceit, violence, twists, turns. And even though I know all the tricks and surprises and, and the endings and all of them, I still watch them over and over more than any other films. It always grabs me when I have TCM on. A different film noir comes out and I'm all eyes. It's like, what are these people up to? Maybe that's it, the sneakiness and the cons that the people are up to for such small sums of money. A thousand here, two thousand there. Maybe why these films are so good is because they are in black and white. And it is some of the greatest lighting, cinematography, directing, writing, and acting in history. Orson Welles said all the great performances were in black and white. I think he's right. Why? Because all we're focusing on is the performance and the story. So it had to be good. Because everything in the background was black and white and just melded together. Uh, Put in color, and now you start to notice things other than the performance and the story. Why? More to distract the human brain. Basically, film noirs are what you see is what you get. And you get something around every corner in a good film noir. 
like the ones on this list I'm about to mention. And get your pen ready because here they are in order of the way we're going to run them down. Night in the City, The Killing, Double Indemnity, Murder My Sweet, The Chase, Phantom Lady, Mirage, Dangerous Crossing, Scarlet Street, and Mystery Street. Wow, I just got chills just listing them. They're so cool. And as in uh, part one of the first best 10 list, I will only give you the setup of these films that I just listed in case you haven't seen them. I don't want to spoil it for you. As I said in my previous podcast, you've got to get in the ring with film noir and get knocked around. So I'll just set the tone, give you a little overview on what they're about. Then you can do the rest. I'll let the films knock you out, and they will, each in its own way. Oh, and as with the Twilight Zone, which is another podcast I do, there is a third list, as I said, and a fourth, and an even fifth list when it comes to the best film noirs. Crime runs that deep. So, let's take them one by one, starting with a movie that could have easily been on the list of the first ten. The only reason it wasn't is because there was already a movie on the list from the same director, Brute Force which is just a magnificent film. And as I said in my earlier podcast, this director, Jules Dawson, who directed uh, Brute Force and uh, directed the a film I'm about to tell you, uh, to me has three of the greatest film noirs of all time. His third one, Thieves Highway, will be on the third list of the 10 best film noirs. I was almost going to do a separate podcast on this director, Jules Dawson, and call it three for three, because in my opinion, he knocked it out of the park when it came to film noir in three films. Instead, I decided to spread them out. So the movie that starts this list off is a Jules Dawson gem called Night in the City, and I'm not sure which one I watch more, this or his other one from the first list, Brute Force. Both I absolutely love, and it's safe to say I can't get enough of them. If you saw Brute Force from the first list, wait until you see this one. And Night in the City is set in a weird Fellini-like almost carnival atmosphere with a scary undertone. Maybe that's all I should say, other than the fact that it stars the great actor Richard Widmark. And this guy I had to backtrack and discover because he was a little too early for my film schooling. But let me tell you, everything he touched acting-wise, gold. He could play a good guy, a bad guy, a nice guy, and an evil guy. Boy, could he play an evil guy. Just watch him in Kiss of Death. Anyway, Night in the City, Richard Widmark plays Harry Fabian, a character who is what I call hell-bent for zero. And I was almost going to do a podcast with a bunch of film noirs that showed characters that were just that, hell-bent for zero. On the first list of ten, there are at least two characters who are hell-bent for zero. Jippo Nolan in John Ford's masterpiece, The Informer, and Burt Lancaster's Steve in the Sinister Crisscross on that same list. And by hell-bent for zero, I mean they're just asking for it, either directly or in their own stupid way. Film noir is full of people who walk willingly into stupid situations, again, usually for that little envelope of money. Uh, but that's all I'll say about this movie, other than that it has the great Gene Tierney from Laura, uh, one of the gems on our first 10 list of film noirs. And then I'll just give you a little tease of Night in the City. The opening shot is our main character running for his life across, I think, Piccadilly Square in London. What does that tell you? And where it ends up? And he ends up, wowzy, wow, wow. Go watch it right now or wait until the end of this podcast. I'm willing to bet you're going to want to watch it again and again. It's creepy and you can't get it off of you. So then let's move right along to number two on the list. And here comes Stanley Kubrick and a great crime writer named Lionel White. 
and an even greater crime writer, Jim Thompson, all taking part in this little I watch over and over again gem called The Killing. It's about the bumping off of a horse racing track, you know, all that betting money behind the counters, and how the crooks get there. But not in real time. It's where Tarantino stole Pulp Fiction from. Not the story, but the maneuvering of the story. And at least he admits it. I hate when they steal and don't give credit. You know, TV writers do it all the time. Uh, anyway, The Killing shows the masterminding of the heist, then the heist, then the result. I read the book it's based on, which is called Clean Break, by, as I said, Lionel White, and he's a great crime writer. His books are hard to find. Clean Break is well written, but it kind of lays there. It takes the maneuvering of Stanley Kubrick to bring it to the screen. But what makes it pop is a sensational dialogue written by an even better crime writer than Lionel White, Jim Thompson. And if you don't know who Jim Thompson is, find out. I talk about him a lot in my podcast, Wilder Times. But to me, he is not only my favorite crime writer of all time, but probably the best. And I'm sure others would agree. We're talking stories like The Grifters, The Getaway, A Hell of a Woman, just to name a few. He's also the one who said there was only one plot in all of writing or storytelling. And that is that nothing is what it seems. And I aspire to that as a writer, because um, that theme, the fact that nothing is what it seems, permeates our lives around every corner. And what dialogue in the killing. It's so cool. But I don't want to say too much more until part four. You got to experience it in all its time-warped, twisted, tongue-tied glory. And we get a scathing performance by one of the film noir goddesses, Marie Windsor. Just love this one. I watch it over and over. And Kubrick's one of the first to approach the story this way. Again, go watch it right now. Every time I talk about it, I want to go watch it. And this beauty only runs 84 minutes, not two hours and 15 like Barbie. Uh, but The Killing deserves the number two spot on our list with good reason, as does the number three film on the second list of the 10 best film noirs. And I'm talking about James Kane's Double Indemnity. And I can't tell you much about this film if you haven't seen it. Telling you what it's about gives it all away. We'll talk about it more when you join me in part four. But I will tell you it's on the list because it's one of the first to deal with this kind of situation, if you will. Um, this predicament would be used later in many, many other films. But nobody does it as well as James Cain, Billy Wilder, Edward G., Fred McMurray. And one of my top ten actresses of all time, the lovely Barbara Stanwyck. And if you don't know the writer James Cain, do just read Mildred Pierce and you'll be all set. He's another sensational crime writer with The Postman Always Rings Twice, one called Serenade, and this one, Double Indemnity. You'll love it. Well-paced, well-directed, well-acted, and it's got the basic ingredient of film noir. Who's playing who? So, peruse that one when you get a chance, and I'll give you the next one here. And this comes from one of my teachers at the American Film Institute, believe it or not, the director, Edward Dimitrik. Thank you, Eddie. He passed away a long time ago, but I loved his classes. He really shared his knowledge with us students, and he graced us with a scathing film on our first list of the uh, 10 best film noirs, a film called Crossfire. 
starring the three Roberts, Robert Ryan, Mitchum, and Young. In this film, Murder My Sweet, he takes on a Raymond Chandler novel called Farewell My Lovely, and this movie is done in voiceover detective style with Dick Powell playing Philip Marlowe. It's told in flashback, and it has all kinds of little curves. It takes the number four spot on this second list of ten because it has one of those mysterious characters out of nowhere, like in The Maltese Falcon, or the fantastic film on our first list of ten, detour. In Murder My Sweet, the ball gets rolling right away and doesn't stop until the end. And it's got the wonderful Claire Trevor. How could you go wrong? Anyway, I said enough. No need to talk more about it if you haven't seen it. Every twist is sacred. Go watch it and we'll talk about the moves this movie makes in part four. So that means I get to tell you about number five on our list of the second 10 best film noirs. And man, is this one cool. It's called The Chase and Lookout. So simple, you think, then wrenches your head in a what way. It has a similar kind of effect as the movie I just mentioned on the first list, Detour. That is kind of, wait, what just happened? I love these type of film noirs. And here's the cool thing about this one. I saw the movie, was so thrilled by it, had to find the book it was based on called The Black Path of Fear, written by another great crime writer, Cornell Woolridge. And when I read it, I was like, the book is nothing like the movie. How did they get that from the book? And to me, never happens, but the movie was better than the book. And I don't know what made Arthur Ripley, the director, and the writer, Philip Jordan, get to this kind of a script, but I love it. It's got another one of the lower feelings if you watch that one from the first list. That is, one of those things in the movie where you're like, wait, what just happened? But again, that's all I'll say, and I realize this is going to be a really short podcast because, as I said, I literally got to sit on my hands because I want to talk all about the cool things in each movie, but that's for part four. Right now, I just have to entice you, but I'm enticing myself, and I've already seen them tons of times. Ah, film noir. Anyway, in part four, we'll break them apart a little, and that's when I wish we were all in a class together with the film in front of us, because then the dynamics take over. We start pointing out things. What about this scene? And how about when they do that? And then we look at different clips. It's exciting one-on-one. And to get everybody participating and sharing their thoughts about the movie, because there is no right or wrong. It's all I have the beholder. Film classes are so cool. And we can't lose that. Dynamics of the classroom experience. There's nothing like it, and I urge you to take part in it whenever you can. But in the meantime, I'll settle for you right here, listening to my podcast, because you still get to hear how excited I am about these films. And my goal is to make you want to watch them. Like this next one, number six on the list, and look out for the coolness in this one. It's called Phantom Lady, and yes, my friends, that says it all. It's about a lady who isn't there. Much like the wonderful Hitchcock film, The Lady Vanishes, where the lady's on the train, then she ain't. And it's like another film coming up in the number eight spot, but I'll save that for when we get to it. Anyway, in Phantom Lady, the play between, ah, ah, never mind. You gotta see it. The only thing I'll tell you about this favorite of mine is that it starts off in true film noir fashion. And we'll discuss what that is in part four. I'll also tell you that this movie stars the wonderful Thomas Gomez and Elijah Cook Jr. again, who we just saw in The Killing, our number two film on this list. 
Uh, but that's all you get on this one. It occupies the number six spot for good reason. It's the number two contribution from the killer underrated director, Robert Siodmak, who gave us crisscross on the first list. And it's churned out by the same writer who gave us the basis for the chase, Cornell Woolridge. Only here he writes under the pseudo-name William Irish. Just a note for you crime readers in case you're looking for books by him. He's under two names. Uh, but you should love Phantom Lady because it's one of those keep you guessing. Once again, some good performances, even by Regis Toomey, in a very small role as a cop. But he's film noir all the way. And now let's really mess with your head, because that's what Film Noir does with our number seven film on the list of the second ten best film noirs. And it is, once again, by my teacher and the director who has three films spread out over these two lists of noir. Crossfire, Murder My Sweet, and now this one, Mirage. And I'm talking about the director, Edward Dimitrik, who said to us young filmmakers at AFI, you can't be a good writer if you don't learn to cry for the world. Wow, I wrote that one down, as you can see. Anyway, Mirage is so mirage -y. I can't hardly tell you anything because you have to take the trip on your own. And in the words of Jim Morrison, this is the trip. This is the best part of the trip. This is the trip. All I'll say is that you better pay attention from the get-go. There's no setup. You're in it. Okay, Greg, shut up. But this movie stars the great Gregory Peck and Diane Baker, and it really is an excellent woven film. Again, it'll keep you guessing to the end, I'm willing to bet. Oh, and it has Walter Matthau, one of his earliest parts. But go enjoy this one and tell me what you think in part four, or I'll tell you what you think, or I think, or what we might both think. And this little stretch right here on the list, number six, number seven, and now number eight, a film called Dangerous Crossing, are three good mess-with-your-head movies right in a row. Again, can't give too much away about Dangerous Crossing other than the movie takes place on a ship. And the only hint I'll give you is there's a little now-you-see-it-now-you-don't. But you're on that boat the whole way through the movie and you want to get to the bottom of it. A credit to the script and pacing by director Joseph Newman. But again, pay attention. As a matter of fact, if you're feeling up for it, you should almost watch Phantom Lady, Mirage, and Dangerous Crossing all in a row. You'll really get a sense of how film noir works. And then we'll talk more about how they go about it in part four. But I got to say, once again, every time I start talking about these film noirs, I'm like in my head, I'm going to watch that one again tonight. I just don't get tired of the music these stories play, if that makes sense as a metaphor. But on to number nine on our list of the second 10 best film noirs that I want to go and watch right now. And this is a great film by director Fritz Lang. It's called Scarlet Street. And this movie is all about the con. And it's a similar con to the con I talked about in my podcast, I Can't Wait to Talk About Rocky, where I talk about the film Rocky. Uh, the con that is pulled on Rocky is like the one in Scarlet Street. All cons are not being straight with people. But when you're not straight sometimes with an innocent bystander, like, say, a dumb, lovable boxer like in Rocky, or a polite simpleton like the character Edward G. Robinson plays in Scarlet Street, things can go terribly wrong. And in Scarlet Street, it's all fun and games at first, but then... And that's all I'll say about this one. You gotta see how this unfolds. And not only does it have Edward G., but it's got a sizzling Joan Bennett and the ever-solid and underrated actor Dan Duryea. I watched this recently again after having not seen it in a while, and I still got a, uh, good shit, man. 
And that brings us, I told you this podcast was going to be quick, to our last film on the list, number 10. And this is another one I discovered late. And it was actually a recommendation from one of the employees at Amoeba here in Hollywood. And how cool is this? It's another street movie. This one is called Mystery Street. And I can't talk about the giveaways in this movie because I'm willing to bet most of you listening have never seen this film. Because as I said, I never knew it existed. But it's so cool. It does something interesting. Right away, it lets us, the audience, in on a secret that the characters in the movie don't know. And that's always a great thing. When the audience is clued in, but the characters are clueless, it makes for exciting movie viewing. And that's all I'll say. But here's something that just dawned on me as I'm writing this. Mystery Street could almost be like the approach in Psycho, if that rings a bell for you. Uh, it's nothing like it, of course, but it takes another way of looking at crime. That's a good enough hint to leave you with. And that means I'm going to leave you to go watch them. And each one of these movies is going to wow you up more and more all the way to the end. Get your friends together, sit down, watch them like a movie, not like streaming. There's a difference. That's probably why I like film noir so much. You have to pay attention or you'll miss something. It's not murder mystery. It's what the hell's going on. I thought he was he and she was she. Uh-uh. Remember that Jim Thompson quote I told you about? Nothing is what it seems. And we'll see more of why that is when we dissect these movies a little bit in part four. Uh, what you're going to see is that these stories aren't a result of the murder, the money, or the jewels thereafter. They come out of the sinister behavior of the people involved. What are they up to? We never know sometimes. Nothing is what it seems. Anyways, always got to watch them in order. And here is the list of the ten we just went through, so get your pen ready. Number one, Night in the City. Number two, The Killing. Number three, Double Indemnity. Number four, Murder My Sweet. Number five, The Chase. Number six, Phantom Lady. Number seven, Mirage. Number eight, Dangerous Crossing. Number nine, Scarlet Street. And number ten, Mystery Street. And once again, each one tries something a little different than the other, whether it be the settings, the characters, or a twist. I think these lists, the way I devise them, like I said, get better and better with each film. You decide, but I'll bet you'll find a favorite. One of mine comes at you right off the bat, Night in the City. It scares me. Film noirs are full of uh-ohs. Something I mentioned that the director Samuel Fuller does in his films so well in my podcast, Fuller is so different. Uh, and how about all the great characters? I mean, uh, as I said, the great Richard Widmark, and uh, he's in so many film noirs, but he doesn't get old. Uh, just like Dan Duryea or Thomas Gomez. Bring him on, man. And how about Charles McGraw, who I'm going to do a podcast on real soon. Then there's the women, Stanwyck, Marie Windsor, Gloria Graham, Joan Bennett, at her most wickedness in Scarlet Street, as I said. Man, I could go on and on, which is why I'm going to go off and off, because, heck, i got to have something for part four, five, and six, right? Oh, yes, as I mentioned, there will be more. There will be more. But until then, you'll have your hands full watching these babies because I'm sure you're going to want to watch them a second time, probably right away. So get busy. Get off that streaming and get into some noir. Thanks, as always, for listening, taking the time, agreeing with me, not agreeing with me, whatever. As I said, there is no right or wrong when it comes to movies. It's all eye of the beholder. I just hope you behold some things that make you want to behold some more in the film noir genre. I'm still collecting film noirs. There are so many. 
Anyway, I'll catch up with you again in part four down the road, and I'm going to have just as much fun deciphering them for you as I've just had telling you about them. Till then, as I said, thanks for pricking up your ears in the words of the tubes. Talk to you later. Take care. I'm Greg Bruza. Peace.